Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, the founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Tigers in 20. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me is Go Tigers 247 digital content creator Kenny Stubblefield, and we are back. Told you guys we would be back. This is the second consecutive week now. I wasn't lying. We're officially, officially back. Um, and we have such a fun, weird, odd, whatever other adjectives you want to use, game to break down from this past weekend. And this is it's so funny because it this is what's cool about, you know, podcasting and having archive stuff, whether it's written or, you know, digital, whatever, having archive stuff of the way that you talk about a game the week before, you can look back and say, I was right here, I was wrong here, or this is kind of what we expected to happen. And last week on the podcast, you and I talked explicitly about how we really didn't know anything going into this game on either side, and it was a game that could go either way. It was a game that we would learn a lot about both teams, and it unfolded in like the most odd, weird way of all time. So I, I had a feeling that it was going to be something that we didn't expect, and this is not the game that I expected to see. But nonetheless, Memphis comes out with a with a huge victory over an SEC team at home. I mean, when you look at what this team has done at home, it, it's up there with like the like the best schools in the country. Seventeen, seventeen straight, seventeen wins. straight wins, twenty two consecutive non conference wins at home with three uh, SEC wins in there, two over Ole Miss and one over Mississippi State. So what this team has done at home over the past several years is is absolutely incredible, but um, Kenny, I know you were upset you didn't get to go to this game um, and be on the sidelines for it. Now I know you're even more upset that you <laughs> that you didn't get to go. I texted you in the middle of the game and was like, I cannot believe I'm not at this game right now. <laughs> like I just kept picturing all the plays, all the crazy stuff that was happening, and I was like, I would have had the greatest seat ever to all of that, and yet I was having to sit next to my Arkansas-loving father-in-law who kept trying to switch back and forth between the Arkansas and Georgia Southern game and Memphis game. And finally, I was like, bro, we're at my house. Change it. (laughs) Like, y'all are going to beat Georgia Southern by, like, 50. Like, (laughs) Yeah, so for for those who don't know, this past weekend was Kenny's wife's birthday. And, you know, he obviously did, did the right thing, Kenny, by staying home and hanging out with his wife and his family. But it was a tough one for him. It was a tough pill. I was to almost gonna. I was almost. I was weighing the decision of if I go to the game or if I don't. And I said, you know what, my buddy Christian will let me come live with him <laughs> if I if I decide to go to the game. I said I'll go live with Christian. That's fine. 
Well, well, fortunately, Kenny stayed at home and he's not living with me. Um, so anyway, <laughs> getting back to the game, breaking down the game. Like I said, it was a it was a really fun, weird game. Um, immediately stepping away from it, Kenny. What are what are the overall thoughts? Because there is a lot to unpack. Uh, from this game and and obviously we want to get into UTSA discussion because I think that's a bigger game than most common fans realize um, but a lot of lots to unpack from this game just kind of immediate overall thoughts from the win on Saturday well it just I mean just as a 30,000 foot view the Liberty Bowl is a tough place to play when momentum we always talk about momentum in games right and how momentum is a big deal and it is very very clear to me that when the momentum starts to swing the Tigers' way and the fans are realizing that and interacting with that and they are helping with that through cheering and through all the different things, the 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 dynamics that's happening inside the game, inside the stadium, the Liberty Bowl is a hell of a place to play. And it's not an easy win for anybody. And so um, that was my first thing that I that – I, like, I mean, you think about it. Just think about the number, 17 straight wins at the Liberty Bowl. That's a, that's a staggering number of wins in a row um, against some really good teams. I mean, they've played – they haven't played just a bunch of cupcakes at the Liberty Bowl. So, that was my first thing. Second thing is um, seeing players, unlikely players and – um, players that we thought going into the game were going to make a difference, they stood up and made a difference. Like one of the people that you've talked about, that you talked about, that needed to take a step forward in this game is Quindell Johnson, um, the safety for the University of Memphis. And he did. He played an amazing game. Um, Seth Hennigan threw his first interception, but in that very play, stopped a pick six. And then, like for me, as I was watching that game from home, that was the turning point of the game. That was where the momentum just completely shifted because it could have been over if uh, if that guy had scored, if the Mississippi State player had scored the touchdown. Um, but Seth threw a pick, stopped them, and then they stopped them on the two yard line on fourth down, and then took it ninety eight yards for a score. And that was the game for me. Like that was the game. Um, obviously. Mississippi State kept playing and the game was still going. But um, in terms of momentum, that was a huge momentum swing. And so it was just really – it was really awesome to see um, the Tiger players that we expected to step up, step up, and then some pe- players that we didn't expect to step up make a step forward, like Joe Doyle, right? Like that was an incredible – he's not a kicker. <laughs> he's a punter. and He comes in and bangs a 51-yard field goal. Um, in the in the fourth quarter, I mean that it's those kinds of things that happen that man just make you go. There's something about this team that's special, and there's something about this team that they just don't give up. They keep fighting and they play hard every single play. Yeah, and, and I think that comes down from the head coach and the coaching staff, and that's something that we saw last year. Right, there was uh, many games last year when Memphis got down early and had to battle back. Uh, namely the SMU game, and that that came up short. They came up short in that comeback bid, barely. SMU kicked up after four weeks off. After four weeks off of right, COVID. and that was losing on a, a last second field goal. Uh, the UCF game, obviously incredible comeback, and it's just something that through the first few games, and really it was a common theme throughout the season, is like this team doesn't give up, and we're seeing that again. You know, this year, uh, obviously, this was our first real chance to see that. Uh, even though they got in some danger late against Arkansas State, uh, they pretty much had control of that game the whole time. But but this game, you go down seventeen to seven, you throw an interception, they're you know in plus territory. You can you can roll over and give up there because you're playing against an SEC team. At, at least you're at home, but you're still you're playing against an SEC team that you know has a good defense that you know has. Um, some good skill position players, and and you can you can give up at that point, and they didn't like you said they go out and they make the stop. Uh, Quindell Johnson bat, bats down the ball on just a really a really really good play that shows you how smart of a football player he is. I think a, a lot of the plays that he made on Saturday shows uh, just how smart he is and just how really how good of a defensive back he is. Um, and then for a true freshman quarterback to come off of an interception and take. Uh, take the take the ball ninety eight yards into the end zone and and get it back within a within a one score game and make it a game. 
uh, and considering all this is in the second half, you know, we're not in the first half anymore at this point. This is second half when it's really like, okay, this could go south. Um, so just a lot of resolve from this team, a lot of really good things that you see from this team, uh, in the ability to just breathe, relax and go out there and make plays rather than fold or, or try to do too much. And that's something that you see a lot of teams do. Um, a lot of young quarterbacks do is try to do too much. Like at that point, it wouldn't have been hard to envision Seth coming back on his own two yard line and making another mistake. But he didn't. He came out and he took the team 98 yards. So it was a uh, it, it was really cool to see a true freshman quarterback come of age through a pretty battle tested game. Um, it was cool to see a defense that has been pretty rough through the first two games of this year and and pretty rough over the last several years in general step up in a big game. Uh, even though they do they you know they did allow a ton of passing yards, they allow. Um, a, a decent amount of points to make the plays that they did make um, to allow Memphis to win the game because without them stepping up, without Quindell Johnson making big plays, without J.J. Russell making big plays, uh, without a defensive touchdown early in the game, um, without some of some of the pressure <laughs> that was that was applied to Will Rogers at very specific times and few and far in between, um, Memphis's defense made the plays necessary for them to win the game. Seth Hennigan made the plays necessary for them to win the game. And that I mean that's what matters. You know, when you have players that have resolve and, and step up when they have to, you win football games. And they took advantage of some really crazy shit that went down on that on that punt return. Like let's not let's not go too far without talking about that because that <laughs> that's a play that is like taken over college football today in the last couple of days. People freaking out about that play. And I think me and you, um, we we texted about it a little bit, and I've come along, come around to to your side of it a little bit. I think that, um, well, let me let me just ask you what what are your thoughts on on that play and the eventual, I guess the the blow up that's happened since then from the SEC officials, conference, Mississippi State fans. Uh, I mean, you know, I typically don't get into stuff like this because really I just don't care. Like, I'm not one of those journalists that's just like, I have to be in the drama. I have to be in the drama. Like, I really don't care. Like, gen- that's genuine. Uh, I don't care. It happened. It's over. <laughs> I mean, that, that's really all I have to say on it. it. It's one of those plays that will, without a doubt, live in Memphis Tiger infamy, right? Like, that will always be remembered regardless of what the rest of this season looks like. Memphis could lose every game from here on out, but that play will be talked about um, forever and ever as long as there's Memphis Tiger football, which is awesome to be a part of those moments. You and I have been very fortunate and very lucky to be a a part of a lot of huge moments uh, in this Memphis football history for this Memphis football program, and that's really cool. Um, But as far as as the blowback from it, the SEC statement, the Mississippi State fans, the Memphis fans, like, the back and forth there, like I don't care, I don't get, I don't entertain that kind of stuff because it just doesn't do anything for me. Like that's just straight up. Yeah, and I think my my as I've had a chance to kind of take a step back and think about it over the last couple of days, not really necessarily concerned with the response of people um, and and the response of the blowback from it. Um, I'm impressed with how aware Calvin Austin was in that play. That what we are told, you, you were an athlete, I was an athlete, we played sports our entire lives. You were told from Pop Warner to um, Little, League, Little League Baseball to, to um, basketball, whatever age group you're playing, you play until the whistle blows. And so it was just super impressive to me that that awareness of Calvin to continued the play because there wasn't a whistle blown. And so um anyway, so that it was a hell of a play and it was I mean, I'm sure that was when I that was in that moment where I was like, man, I wish I was there right now. Yeah. <laughs> like cuz the Liberty Bowl blew up. When I that mean, happened. that was that was extremely an extremely crazy moment and yeah, it was super loud. Like there's not a ton of times in a in a game where you I guess recognize the crowd where you're like, okay, they got, you know, that was a different decibel level of noise. And that's what that play was. So those, 
those moments in any football game for any stadium for me are few and far in between because you're so focused on play after play that you don't really sit back and listen to the crowd. But that's one of those plays where it was like, it's really freaking loud after that. So uh, really cool play, really heads up play by Calvin. And you could tell he was kind of watching and waiting and waiting. And when he saw, he dipped in between two defenders to kind of like not – And the official. And the official. And the so official. it's like I don't want to alert them that I'm coming, but I'm coming. Because he knew once he got the ball that it was oh, it was a wrap because nobody was catching him. So just smart, smart, yeah. smart football play by him. Uh, a couple other things I want to talk about uh, in this game, and let's package them all together and, and discuss these together. Um, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Seth Hennigan's performance, and and we've touched on it a little bit. Um, but I also want to talk about just how freaking good Brandon Thomas looks every time he touches Damn. the ball, and for that matter too. Like we said this last week, we got to give Rodriguez Clark his due. Like he has played cool. very well in number two roles behind Brandon Thomas. So uh, let's talk about this running game a little bit. Obviously didn't get to run the ball as much due to game script and and kind of falling behind early in the first half. Um, But when they did run the ball, it was effective pretty much every time. There weren't many times where this really solid defense was stopping them in the backfield or stopping them for short gains. Um, and, And that's super encouraging from what we saw last year to this year. No, absolutely. And you called it. Last week in the in the podcast, you said, "Listen, Brandon Thomas is right up there with the national leaders in yards um, per game. You know, touchdowns. You know, all those different things. He's, you know, an elite running back at this point in college football. Um, but a sign of success for you would be after the Mississippi State game to see him have um, somewhere right about about a hundred yards." Right, like the and and maybe a couple of running backs having effective games that sustain drives, and that's exactly what happened. I texted you halfway through the game and said you were one thousand percent spot on. You look at the end result of of the game and you look at Brandon Thomas's stats and you go, okay, what was it? An Arkansas State game where he dropped off two seventy yard touchdown runs in the game? No, not at all. But he was extremely effective. And, I mean, Ryan Silverfield even talked about it today in the press conference, He's in his weekly press conference. He said, you know, he goes, I love Daryl Henderson. Um, and he goes, and I love his speed. He said, and Brandon Thomas and Rodriguez Clark have that kind of speed, but they're also the kind of running backs that love to run the ball in the A-gap. And they love to bang. They love to get in there and and, and bust heads. And you saw – both of those guys do that. And they and statistically, was it the greatest game they've had? No, but was it the most effective? It probably was the most effective um, game that they've played together this year for the Tigers. Yeah, because it, it, it was just so important to have some sort of ground game and to keep the defense honest. And when you just look at, at the raw numbers, I guess, of Memphis' Memphis's offense and what they did, uh, running the ball and and I mean honestly for that matter even even passing the ball in this game it's not very effective uh, but that's why games are so important and, and they involve context and you have to have context to really understand a game so like if you look at the box score for this game Memphis had 25 carries for 87 yards averaging three and a half yards a carry but you got to keep in mind college football they count sacks against yardage and all that so when you look at Strictly what Brandon Thomas did: sixteen carries for eighty-three yards, averaging a little bit over five carry or five yards per carry. That's huge against this defense. First of all, that absolutely shut down NC State two weeks ago, and then Rodriguez Clark had the one carry for sixteen yards, where he absolutely blasted Jalen Green, like sent him back like three yards. Um, Such an amazing hit. Yeah. So when you look at just those two guys, seventeen carries for ninety-nine yards is pretty much exactly what they needed to do to keep the defense honest and show them look you can't you can't um you can't underestimate our run game like we can run the ball against you um you can't just pin your ears back and and blitz us every time and expect us not to be able to have success in the running game it's exactly what they had to do to keep the defense honest and they did that um and i think if you know the game script doesn't go negative and they don't go down by 10 Brandon Thomas could have potentially had like a 115 to 130 yard game but they just didn't have the luxury of being able to run the ball late in this game because they were, they were in catch-up mode. Um, well, he didn't play. I mean, the offense didn't see the field until the five minutes left in the first quarter. So, right. I mean, they, they he basically was, oh did my that. Gosh, I, he 
I can't. <laughs> I don't. I do not know how Mississippi State fans watch that offense. It is the oh. most boring dink and dunk five yard. And I and I'm not like trying to be like a hater. Like I'm really. I'm not like trying to stir anything up or anything like that. That is just not what I like to watch in a football game. No. Like I, I would literally rather watch a team line up in I formation with a fullback and run the ball 35 times a game more than watch screens and swing passes and hitches and slants. It's just freaking like hitting your head into a wall over and over and over again. And I cannot watch that. It was so boring. Yeah, it was. Be like, oh my God, 17 play, 75-yard drive, field goal. It's not goal. supposed to take 17 plays to get to – to score a touchdown in, in college football. <laughs> no, and also we're spoiled by watching Memphis every week that it's right. like any play right. can go 75, 80 yards, but it's just, man, that is not the style of football that I like to watch at, at any level for any team. It was very boring in it. But it is, when you, like, okay, let's give it let's give it its respect. It did what it was designed to do. Like you said, Memphis doesn't get on the field until – uh, pretty late in that first quarter and aren't able to get on the field very much because Mississippi State was able to have those sustained drives of, you know, 10-plus plays. And it, it kept Memphis's offense off the field, which is exactly what it was designed to do. So, you, I mean, you have to – it worked. It was effective. I mean, Will Rogers had 420 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, he threw the ball 67 times, dude. Right. Uh, but, I mean, it worked. I mean – when did Memphis, when did Memphis's defense really stop them? Is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. It did right. what it was designed to do. It's just not my style of. It's not what I like to watch. No, no, definitely not. Um, but moving along, let's let let's dive into Seth Hennigan a little bit because uh, I want to talk about this performance. We finally get to see him play against an actual legit defense because you know the first two were not. Regardless of what anybody says, those defenses were not good, um, and he was able to shred them as he should have. But he plays a, a a solid Mississippi State defense, and he looks so so. Sixteen of twenty eight, one fifty nine, two touchdowns. Um, really, first half was bad. First half was really bad. No, absolutely, yeah. It was. I mean, the, the first half was bad for the entire Tigers offense. It, it, it's hard to <clears throat> necessarily pin all of that on Seth Hennigan, but um, yeah, I mean, there was definitely some growing pains. I mean, you could tell that. He was facing. He's a a true freshman quarterback facing a a, a high level defense. Um, but that's why they play the entire game, right? Like he he ended up coming in. I mean, whatever happened throughout the entirety of the game for Seth, uh, I look at that ninety eight yard touchdown drive in the second half, and I say, there you go. Like that's the story for me of the of the game for Seth Hennigan. Um, yeah, it was a rough. It wasn't statistically the most dynamic game that he's had. He threw an interception, um, saved a touchdown on that interception. Um, had another interception called back, also. Right. So I mean, definitely wasn't his. You know, definitely wasn't a, a game that you could say he um, dominated like he did against Nichols and against Arkansas State, but. That 98-yard touchdown drive is the story of the game for me and shows me the kind of quarterback that you talked about um, last week that, that he is, that he's a coach's son who doesn't get rattled, who is always in the game um, and knows who to get the ball to. I mean, on that 98-yard touchdown drive, on a fourth and nine, completed a pass to Javon Ivory. Um, to 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 get a first down. I mean, those kinds of plays that takes big stones to do that, and and so that drive for me was more impressive than all the negative that 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 happened throughout the rest of the game. Yeah, I agree, and and there was a response there, right? Because the like I said, the first half was rough, like just plain and simple. And I think Seth Hennigan would tell you that himself. Like he made some really bad throws, he made some bad reads, he missed some throws. Like it just it wasn't pretty, and I and I could almost guarantee you that nerves played a big role in that like yes he had played at the Liberty Bowl before against Nickel State but this was his first real game in the Liberty Bowl and it's against an SEC like everything that could be stacked up against a player was stacked up against Seth in this game like there was there was a lot of things that weren't going his favor so I mean I'm not I'm not sitting here saying that I think any less of Seth as a quarterback because he had struggles throughout the game like you said it actually 
heightens my view of him because he did bounce back. He showed that he is pretty unshakable and that he will come back and, and do what he can do. And and I mentioned the, the second interception he had getting called back, um, and I wonder if he knew that it was – you know, I, you know, the call is 12 men on the field. I think they actually had 13 on the field. I wonder if he knew that it was a penalty, that he knew they had too many men on the field and was trying to take a shot, or what exactly. Because I don't know exactly what happened there. So I, I, you can't really judge that. It didn't count in the flow of the game anyway, so whatever. Um, but I'd be interested to know if that was like a, I knew there was a flag, so I was throwing it up. Uh, but I know the receiver fell down anyway. So just a weird circumstance of plays. I'm not even trying to really – get into that I just think that's you know interesting and I think he probably he probably knew there was too many men on the field took a shot which you know even more so shows that he's aware uh and a smart football player and then comes back after that penalty and throws throws the uh the touchdown to Calvin Austin in the back left corner of the end zone who absolutely roasted the the defensive back on that play um so overall it was a solid performance from Seth Hennigan and now he gets a chance to prove it against another good defense like like I said earlier, UTSA is not a team that's going to draw a bunch of ratings or draw a big crowd at the Liberty Bowl, but they're a good football team. Like, you know, they beat Illinois. Uh, they beat Illinois at, in Illinois, I'm pretty sure. Um, 3-0 and on the season. I think their defense is allowing 16 points per game. So Seth Hennigan's going to have a chance to come back against a good defense, um, but there won't be as much juice around this game, right? There won't be as much hype around this game, which should give him a chance to kind of sit back and not not have as many nerves um, and, and be able to have a, a better game, even though this is statistically a better defense than Mississippi State was coming in. Um, I, think, I, th- I think he'll have a better performance against UTSA this week. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you this um, before – we move on to UTSA. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in terms of the Mississippi State game was that the biggest matchup that you saw was the um, Memphis's offensive line versus Mississippi State's defensive front seven. How do you grade it? What do you? What are you? What were your thoughts on on the offensive line and how they protected Seth and opened up holes for the running backs and? Did they did they do what you thought that they might do in this game? I mean, I think they did better than than I thought they would do. I mean, they allowed a couple of sacks. Mississippi State's defense was able to get home a couple times and and make some plays. But as far as like opening holes in the running game, Memphis was able to run up the middle on the outside on some on some uh some out some off the tackle runs, which against those SEC teams that have a ton of speed and a ton of depth, it's difficult to get outside the tackles. But they were able to do that a couple of times. So. Uh, overall impressive. There were some miscommunications a couple times on the offensive line that led to uh, some sacks and some big plays by Mississippi State's defensive line. But overall, like I think this offensive line last year against Mississippi State would have had a lot worse of a performance. So I think I think it really to me it showed that yes, this offensive line is much better. Uh, that's one of the best defensive lines they'll face all year. They don't have Cincinnati in the regular season. Um, UCF's got a couple of good defensive linemen that, that they'll have to go up against later in this year. But, you know, pound for pound, this is probably the best defense these two weeks back-to-back, Mississippi State and UTSA, that they'll have to face all year. So um, the offensive line's being put to the test relatively early, and so far they're they're really answering that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's wrap up the Mississippi State game. Any, any other thoughts that you have um, about it? Any takeaways? Yeah, I think I think we've said pretty much everything that we need to say on that Mississippi State game. So uh, before we dive into UTSA, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. And then on the other side, we will get back, talk about that game and what to watch for for Memphis this week against UTSA. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, you can't hold me down. Yeah, how you like me now? You won't beat the hell with call. Welcome back, everyone. And as I mentioned before the break, we're going to do a quick little breakdown of this Memphis and UTSA game. And I think I already may have said this twice in this podcast, so um, excuse me for the repetition here. But um, this UTSA team is solid. Um, I know just as as well as, as you do, this is not a game that's going to incite uh, any any new fans or anything like that? It's not gonna get any brownie points. But this is a good team. Like I'm I'm not even gonna lie a little bit. Like when I saw this game on the schedule, I was like, okay, that's a you know that's a 50 point win or whatever. And then as the season rolls around, I start looking at it, and then we're three weeks in. And I'm like, okay, maybe UTSA is decent. And then uh, as the game rolls around, I'm like, oh my gosh, Memphis is only three point favorite in this game. Uh, sixty forty in the ESPN uh football power index on who has a who has the percent chance to win Memphis with the sixty percent chance to win this game, and it's like okay, um, maybe UTSA is a little better than we thought they were, um, and th- I think they were last year too. But I'm just, I mean, guys, I don't, I don't pay attention to UTSA. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm, I, <laughs> I don't watch every single college football team in the country. You catch me on the NFL, you know, I know every team a little bit better. But UTSA, I'm not. So I'm, quite a few more teams in the uh, NCAA Division One football than there is in the NFL. Right, and I don't think UTSA has a very, you know, has a very fat TV contract, and I don't think they have many games on TV, so sue me. Um, but, I, you know, I know they played Louisiana Lafayette in a bowl game last year, lost by a touchdown. That Louisiana Lafayette team is solid. Uh, we're number nine. I think they finished number nineteen last year. We're ranked coming in this year uh, before the loss to Texas. And so overall, all that to say, UTSA is a good team. Through three games, they're allowing fourteen points a game. Um, they've beaten Illinois, Lamar. Sorry, guys. I know that one doesn't do much for you. And Middle Tennessee State. So it's like okay, even this year, like they haven't played much talent. Like Illinois is a Power Five team. Uh, they beat them in Illinois, so that's a good win for them. They shut out Lamar. You've never watched Lamar football, and neither have I, so there's <laughs> that. Uh, and then Middle Tennessee State, and Middle Tennessee State's not known for their football program. So it's like maybe UTSA is kind of in that state where Memphis was last week of like what's you know what really is this team? Because I know Illinois, yes, they're a Power 5 team, but they're not very good uh, at all, so – they beat, I think they beat Nebraska in the first game, and then they've been trash since then. So, guys, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sitting here spending like ten hours <laughs> previewing this game or like breaking down UTSA film. So, Illinois beat Nebraska, lost to UTSA, and then they got stomped by Virginia, uh, and then they lost to Maryland. So, I don't know what to tell you. College football is crazy. Football is crazy in general. There's a reason they play the game. Memphis could come out and win this game by 30 points. UTSA could come out and win this game by 30 points, or it could be a close game. Like Those are pretty much your options in every game, right? So I'm not I'm not spreading any new knowledge here. But what I will tell you, you like that you like that like monologue there, Kenny? Yeah, that was good, man. That was uh, <laughs> that was definitely a little aggressive, but uh, no. <laughs> hey, we're just we're just being honest, right? Like absolutely, I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and like give you the, the whole spill on UTSA because. 
neither one of us care, and the fans don't care for me to like do a whole bunch of research on UTSA. Like, <laughs> that's, not, right. that's not what we're gonna do here. But you know, we can look at these at these numbers and what the teams have done, and and I can give you a pretty accurate synopsis for what I believe will be the keys to the game this weekend. Well, I'm just grateful that um, the level of apathy you have towards UTSA and studying film is not translated over to Ryan Silverfield and the the coaching staff at the University of Memphis because they are definitely – I mean, Coach Silverfield mentioned it in his press conference today. Hey, man, we are not taking these guys lightly. They have a fantastic defense. We are in the – we are in it now. Like, we're in game prep now. So – um, the apathy you feel, the apathy the fan base might feel towards this game, the Tiger Tiger staff and players do not feel. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and they and they shouldn't. So for very good reason, they're not overlooking them, and they're they're doing their due diligence, which is what they get paid to do. Uh, and I and I don't get paid to watch film at UTSA. So, uh, you know, if 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 they paid me that much, I would watch film there you at go. UTSA. There you um, go. Um, yeah, but I, I think I think what this game comes down to, and man, it just feels like this is a game where Ryan Silverfield's gonna run want to run the ball. Like that's just that's just my early like prediction for it. I have nothing behind that right now. I just feel like with a smaller school coming into the Liberty Bowl that has a really good defense that's allowing fourteen points a game and eighty rushing yards per game. Ryan Silverfield and Kevin Johns are going to want to line up and go stop 5'11", 200, and 5'10", 220 in Brandon Thomas and Rodriguez-Clark. Like, that's just what I feel like is going to happen. Not that they won't throw the ball like you're going to get Calvin Austin involved in this game, but I, I could definitely see this being like, let's run the ball 30 times in this game and show these dudes that we're different. Uh, so, could be totally wrong. Memphis could come out and throw the ball 40 times in this game, but I just don't see that happening. I see them prioritizing the run game and prioritizing um, breaking UTSA's will. That's just what I see happening in this game. And uh, I think if they do run the ball effectively and they can pile up 150-plus yards on the ground, then this is a game that they should win. Could this potentially be kind of a shift from the Mississippi State-Memphis game where that's exactly what Mississippi State came in to try to do. They came in to try to break Memphis's will and show them we're SEC, we're Power 5, we're the big boys here. We're going to come in and we're going to dominate the 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 drives. We're going to dink and dunk you to death. You know, we're going to run the ball. We're going to even though <laughs> Will Rogers threw 67 times, um that's the 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 difference is is that more than likely Tiger coaches are saying that UTSA is not Memphis in terms of their will to to win, their drive to win, their their ability to make adjustments and in the second half and hoping that UTSA will just break and, and give up and say, You guys are better than us. Yeah, and I don't I don't think Mississippi State try to come in and break anybody's will because break I think breaking a team's will comes with really playing an aggressive style of football and throwing five yard passes seventy times a game is not really aggressive <laughs> to me. Like that's just not what I see as a, like a break your will type thing. I break your will is like I'm gonna run. Up, I'm gonna line up and run. And when it's third and seven, we're still gonna run the ball because we think we can block you five yards down the field. Like yeah, that makes sense. And, and we and we've seen we've seen Memphis. They did that in games last year where it'd be like we are confident in running the ball on third and seven because we think we're better than you. And it, it didn't work out as much last year because the offensive line wasn't as good. But this year, I could see that being an effective strategy in a game like this. It's just like, we're going to show you that we can run the football regardless. Um, and that's not to say that this UTSA defense isn't good because they are they are a very solid defensive team. But they don't have the size and the depth that Mississippi State's defense did last week. <laughs> Once again, right. none of this is to say that UTSA doesn't come out and completely put the clamps on Memphis. Because it is possible. I don't think it will happen, but it is a possibility. I think Memphis lines up, runs the ball, moves the ball, and is able to score points because I just don't see many defenses being able to stop this offense, especially if they're clicking at at a 70% rate, you know, like just on a that, – that's not even like a, an, a scale. Like I just came up with a – percent. I just said a percentage, honestly, like – 
there's not a scale that's like hey your <laughs> your offense is firing on this percent like that's not a statistic I just made that up but <laughs> if that was a statistic if Memphis was hitting at 70% of their plays or whatever I'm trying to say here um then I don't think there's anybody can stop them and they definitely weren't hitting at that high of a rate last week and still scored 29 points so um, I don't see them being stopped. Uh, I, I UTSA does have some solid receivers, some solid run. Like they, they, they're a good team. Is what I'm trying to say here, guys. Freak, like they're a good team, <laughs> and Memphis is a good team. So, but, but I do think that that Memphis comes away with this game. I think they're able to run the ball. I think they're able to be effective overall offensively, and I think your defense makes a couple of big plays when necessary. I don't think they're going to shut down UTSA. I don't know how much we'll see Memphis's defense shutting down anybody this year until Mike McIntyre is willing to get creative. I don't understand it. It's something we didn't talk about in the Mississippi State game, but maybe we'll wait until after this week to talk about it because it was frustrating to me, and I don't know how long I want to go on talking about a three-man rush right now, Kenny. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's a lot to that. There's a lot. I know – you texted me halfway through the game and we were just like, what in the heck is going on here? Um, and, and I think a lot of Memphis fans would agree with you that that's a frustrating development. I mean, you, you watch the game against Mississippi state and you say every time they rush four, every time that they put more than three in the, on the, on the line or, or stunted or blitzed Thomas Pickens into the backfield, they got, they made a play, they pressured and, the, or they made a play. They got a sack. They got it, you know, whatever they stopped them. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, um, uh, kind of the, the, the progression that's had that, 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 that comes from, um, seeing the game film from Mississippi state moving towards UTSA and saying, okay, are they going to try some different things before the start of conference play? Um, cause this is the final game before conference play starts. I mean, they play temple, um, they go to temple the next week. So, you know, this is. To me, this feels like, not to dismiss what UTSA is going to do, I think that it is um, something that where you look at their defense and you say, okay, well, they're ranked very high nationally. They give up 14 points a game. So we're going to get a test here, right? Like we're going to be tested. So let's try some things. Let's go out in there and do some things. And I think you're, you're probably right, you know, in terms of, what to expect in the in the running back room this week that to get a heavy dose of Rodriguez Clark and a heavy dose of Brandon Thomas um it'll be interesting to see um what happens and I think it'll be interesting to see how the defense plays you know there's that they put up a lot of points um UTSA does so it'll be interesting to see how uh what if Mike McIntyre tries something different to get them ready for conference play um See what he does. See if he rushes more, stunts more, blitzes more. Um, see who who's playing in the in the in the um, secondary. You know, obviously Greg Rubin had a great game. Um, he's having a a fantastic year as a freshman. I mean, he gets picked on a lot as a true freshman. People think as a true freshman, he's you know, let's go to him. Um, but he's more often than not made good plays. Quindell Johnson obviously had a great game against Mississippi State. We'll see who else is going to step up. You know, that, I think that's a huge question that that needs to be answered um, moving forward into the season. But this UTS, UTSA game is is a tough one to break down because, like you said, we don't watch footage of UTSA. We just look at the numbers and say, "Wow, they they seem to be a a good team." The Tigers should come in and impose their will on them this week, and and make it 18 wins in a row at the Liberty Bowl. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so last thing, we got some questions. So I, we're, I'm going to say something real quick, and then we're going to do like a rapid-fire Q&A, and we're going to knock that out. Um, so things are starting to get a little interesting now when you look at the schedule, uh, especially if Memphis is able to make it past UTSA this week. When you look at what's coming up next, as you mentioned, they have the Temple game, the first conference game of the year against Temple in two weeks on the road, 11 o'clock kickoff. Temple is not a good football team. Um, That is a game that Memphis should win. 
Then you have an 0-3 Tulsa team that's had some kind of hard-fought games, but they also lost to UC Davis in the beginning of the season. Uh, so it's like, how good can that team be? I don't think they're very good. Um, so I think that's a, t- a game that Memphis wins. Navy, Navy's 0-2 this year, really not very good either. They always give Memphis problems. It's always a tight game, but Navy's offense has been bad this year, and so is their defense. Usually their defense is at least decent, and they haven't been so far. So that game's not looking like 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 Navy's not looking like a huge contest like they typically are, and that game's at the Liberty Bowl. Um, then you got UCF, which is the big game uh, of the year, but Dylan Gabriel got injured, right? So that's adds even more question marks to what that game could look like. SMU with Tanner, Tanner Mordecai has been really good offensively. Another winnable game. East Carolina, winnable game. Houston, winnable game. Tulane, winnable game. Like, Memphis, I hate to say it, guys, but they could do, like, they might be favored in every game from here on out outside of maybe the UCF game. Um, just looking at it, I think I think they might be favored in every game other than that. Um, other than that UCF game and possibly the Houston game, maybe it, it just depends on where the two. That's a that's a late November game. That's the second to last game of the year. So it just depends a lot on, of things could change. Right, right, right. But but just yeah. long term projecting, like Memphis getting through that Mississippi State game, and if they can make it through this UTS game, UTSA game. Then they should be seven. What is it? I think that's seven. Seven and oh, seven, go, and, oh seven and oh going into UCF. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, obviously, still very early in the season, but things are looking up for Memphis. I know, especially when you you know when we see a true freshman quarterback starting, it's like okay, maybe this season could get ugly, and you know maybe this season could look really really good by the time that Memphis gets to UCF. Uh, but as I said, Kenny, I know we've got some questions, so let's go rapid fire on those and wrap this up. Well, I think a lot of folks want to know, um, you know, one of the big transfers that came in from um, Michigan State was Julian Barnett, um, a secondary cornerback for um, Michigan, played wide receiver or for Michigan State, played wide receiver a little bit for Michigan State, came to Memphis and hasn't seen the, the field very much this year. So a lot of folks want to know, man, like what's going on, especially – Looks like um, Jacoby Francis is having a little bit of a down year. He's having a rough year. Um, uh, so, what are your thoughts, man? Is Jacoby going to see the field? Um, where is he at? What's going on? Yeah, I'm and plain and simple, guys. I I, I don't know. Uh, this yeah. is something that is that it's been it's been really quiet on this front. Uh, it could be a doghouse situation. I I don't know. Like, there are not a lot of times when you can't get to the to the information and when you can't get certain things but it's been radio silence on Julian Barnett. Uh I think he played one play on Saturday against Mississippi State and I didn't see him like get injured or anything. So I I mean if it's an injury, you know we're not going to hear about it like it's going to be right. kept quiet. Um and if he's in the doghouse, that's another thing that's going to be kept quiet on. So honestly like Usually I have these kind of answers and I I give those to you guys in VIP, but this is one that I'm not a hundred percent on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously we're not practice hasn't been open to media for a while. Um, and it's just, we don't have the answer to that question, unfortunately. So, um, I can, I can guarantee you though, Silverfield will play the players that will help the Tigers win games. So, um, you know, that's really, <laughs> that's really about it. Um, in terms of the wide receiving, uh, the wide receivers room, um, obviously Gabe Rogers was kind of a late addition to the wide receivers ranks. I mean, he was a kick returner last year, started off the depth chart this year as a running back. And now he's in the, in the wide receivers room. Um, do you think that the Gabe Rogers experiment is, is, has worked out? Do you think that there's going to be any other, um, some of the some of the more heralded wide receivers come in and, and and do something this year. I think I think really only a couple plays has Gabe Rogers looked really good and kind of what I thought with them starting him is they were going to have ways to get the ball in his hands whether it was on screens or jet sweeps or touch passes or 
just some way to get the ball in his hands in space because we've seen what he can do in space and Kevin Johns just have Kevin Johns just hasn't done that. I mean, his one big play of the year uh, came in that nickel state game on that diving catch and and outside of that, it's been really quiet for him. So, um, if he's gonna be a starter, I would like to see him utilized. I would like to see them use his skill set, um, but they haven't so far. So, um, I don't know. I, I've kind of been myself wondering where Eddie Lewis is because I've heard, you know, I'd heard rave reviews about him um, during fall camp and, and from the summer when he got on campus and we haven't really seen him yet. So, uh, and and I know Rock Taylor, Cameron Wright, some of these younger guys that everyone's really excited about, you you know, you got to work those guys in. Yeah. You've got to be careful with those guys. You can't let them come in and, and completely ruin their confidence. Um, but even a guy like Kai Matthew, I thought we would see more this year. They just haven't honestly rotated receivers very much at all. Um, maybe that's something that they're waiting on. Who knows what, you know, who knows what's going on because, you know, we keep saying every week that, you know, we think we'll see the defense open up. Well, maybe, maybe it's the same thing for these receivers. Maybe they're waiting for conference play or something. I have no idea, but, uh, I would like to see some of these, younger receivers get into the game maybe and I'm not even necessarily referencing directly Rock Taylor and Cameron right here maybe even just like Kyle Matthew get into the game or Eddie Lewis get into the game um I think I think we just got to see what someone else can do uh in that slot position for Gabe Rogers because he just hasn't been super productive as of as of right now through the season so I'm going to ask you a question that you said you didn't want to talk about really <clears throat> but I'm going to ask you anyway, because I'd love to hear you rant for a second. Um, do you think one of the questions that was asked was about the 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 defense and some of the three-man rush zones that are run um, in the secondary? Do you think that – are you expecting to see Mike McIntyre make some adjustment, adjustments throughout the rest of the season, or do you think that this is it? Like this is the defense that we're going to see we should expect – um, a kind of a bend but don't break type style moving forward. Bend but don't break is fine, right? Like if you know you're not a super talented defense, bend but don't break is fine. But not even attempting to get pressure on a quarterback just seems so contradictory to any defensive coordinator I've ever met or watched call a football game. Especially when you ha- when your three man rushes were actually getting pre- like j- we haven't seen Jaleel Clemens a ton this year. He looked really really freaking good when they were bringing those three man rushes. He was he was in the backfield most every play. He didn't have a sack or anything like that early in the game, but he was back there every play. And as a DC, when you see that, you got to say okay if we're if we're having success with three, we send four or five, then we're we're getting back there. And it just didn't happen. Um, I would hope this isn't it from Mike McIntyre this year because I think this defense still like I've been on this bandwagon and I guess I'm not going to jump off until the freaking wheels fall off because I'm here right like I've already I've already been on the hype train for too long and I think I and it's really cool to see uh some of our board members on the on the game threads and stuff say like this is not a talent issue with the players this is a coaching staff issue and I agree with that like the play it's not the players it's the it's the play calling right now like that's brutally honest but i mean it's it's what i it's what i'm here to do is like tell what i honestly see and i think they have the talent to be a good defense and to be a defense that forces turnovers and gets sacks and has big plays but they just haven't been given the opportunity yet so hopefully and mike mcintyre is a really good defensive coordinator he's had a lot of success throughout his career a lot of guys on this defensive staff are really really good coaches and I think they'll see that, they'll understand that, and say, look, we have the guys to have a good defense. Let's go make it happen. So I'm fingers crossed, just like the fan base is, that that will happen because I've been hyping this defense up since, you know, before spring practice started. So let's take the Christian Fowler reporter hat off and put on the Christian Fowler defensive coordinator hat on. What would you do? Like what's two things that you would do to shore up what we're seeing in the Memphis defense, what would what are two things that you you would do right now to change what we're seeing? Uh, bring pressure and play Julian Barnett, plain and simple. Like I'm not even I don't even need to expound on that. Like that's that's two things that should have been done already. 
Yeah, I mean, it's stunning because, like, and I know you're not going to get a whole lot of stuff from the spring game, but, man, Julian Barnett was impressive in that spring game. I was on the sideline seeing him. Uh, obviously, he had that pick six run back, and, man, he, the kid is a beast. And so I'm not the, the 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 football mind that you are, but I would love to see more Julian Barnett out there. Clearly, there's something going on in that in in that situation that we don't know about and that's not our right to know honestly in a lot of in a let the team figure that out but I'd love to see some Julian Barnett out there all right we got any more Kenny um we have a lot of questions some of them are are um questions that I don't think that we really need to dive into um there there was an update um people are asking about um, injuries to Morris Joseph. They're asking about injuries to David Kemp. You know, kind of when are we going to start seeing some of these guys come back? Um, and I, w- I would say we don't know a whole lot about injuries because that's just not how the program rolls. They don't reveal a whole lot. And there you just don't ask a lot of those kinds of questions if you want to, you know, continue to, um, you know, to be in the good graces of the Memphis staff. But um, Ryan Silverfield did actually talk a little bit about Morris Joseph and David Kemp today in his weekly press conference. And so I wanted to go to that audio real quick and just share so that people are asking us that question, hear it from Ryan Silverfield um, more so than what we can speculate on. So this is what he had to say. The kickers. I, I, I wish I was a better, better medical expert on kickers, right? They're uh, sometimes their injuries are a little bit different and, uh, he is coming along nicely, but uh, I assume we'll see him out here before too long. I don't want everyone to put a guy out there that doesn't feel 100% comfortable um, because we know we have a long season um, and we want him fresh and healthy and never want to put a guy out there where he'd be at risk to further into himself. So, Kenny, you know, we heard from, from Ryan there, kind of the status on Morris and David. And kind of with that being said, I think, you know, another 50-plus minute football podcast. Good Lord, I never saw this coming two weeks in a row. I never saw this coming once, much less twice back-to-back. Um, but, yeah, let's let's end on that. I think that's a great way to, to kind of put a bow on it and wrap it up heading into this week's game against UTSA. So, uh, head over to the site, gotigers247.com. Check out all the football coverage we got going on there uh we've been putting out a ton of content lately that's why i love when the season rolls around because we're able to actually get consistent stuff out uh bryant dacus our intern has been doing an incredible job we've given him a little bit more freedom this year uh and he's done an, a, a really really good job stepping up and and writing some gamers and covering games so uh, i know we're proud of him so stay Stay uh, tuned to all of his stuff uh, when it comes to pre- and post-game coverage and actual game coverage. Um, And basketball season is inching closer and closer, and you know we always got you covered on that. So with that being said, Kenny, you got anything else? I'm good. All right, well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you downloaded your podcast. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis Athletic Program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are published daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for a VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. We'll see you back here next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. Visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.